Hello, and welcome to the reading of The Courier for February 2nd on a Thursday. And I am your narrator, Peter Welch, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. And let's take a look at the headlines here. Public school, public school funding advances. 3% of the state aid boosts gets okay along party lines and legislative committees. In Des Moines, lawmakers Wednesday passed House File 171 and Senate File 192 out of separate committees, which would increase supplemental state aid to public schools by 3%. The figure is higher than the 2.5% requested by Governor Kim Reynolds in her budget proposal. The bills passed along party lines with Republicans in favor and Democrats opposed. The proposed increase translates to a per-pupil cost for the next school year of $7,635. The bills also include a 3% boost for categorical funds like the Teacher Leadership Supplement and Transportation Equity. The amounts to a $106.8 million increase from last year. Our public schools are great. We want to support them in every way we can, says Senator Tim Krayerbrink, Republican of Fort Dodge, said as the Senate moved the bill forward. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we continue our conservative spending principles we've been pretty much locked into the last six or seven years. State funding for public schools has increased by a little over 2% on average each year over the past decade. If signed into law, a 3% increase would be the biggest increase to public school funding since 2015. The Iowa State Education Association, the union representing public school teachers, requested the legislature increase state aid by 4%. Lobbyists for education groups said that the 3% increase was not enough to keep up with rising costs for schools and would not keep schools competitive with private sector employers. Because of falling enrollment, some schools will see their total state aid decrease. With this proposal, nearly a quarter of our Iowa schools will not see money due to declining enrollment, says Senator Sarah Trone Garrett and said that there are a lot of fixed costs that cannot be reduced. Iowa's budget guarantee process allows schools that do not reach at least 10% of the previous year's budget to supplement up to 101% using property taxes. Around 72 schools would need to follow the budget guarantee process under the bill, Krayerbrink said. The House uh, bill passed out of a committee on Tuesday. It includes a 900000 increase for school transportation. We have and will remain to be consistent with our funding, said Representative Craig Johnson, a Republican from Independence, and the committee's vice chair. It's predictable and it's affordable for Iowa. The bill passed 14 to 9, with all but one Republican voting in favor. Republican 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 Representative Chad Ingalls of Randalia joined Democrats in voting against the measure. All right, let's take a look and see what else we got here. 
Um, Waterloo. Okay. Sound is opening LA doors for Elliot. Waterloo native enjoys success as West Coast radio producer. In Waterloo, Joel D. Elliott II is all about taking the next step. From the basketball floor at Waterloo East High School to the red carpet of Hollywood Awards show. Known professionally as Joel D., the Waterloo-born graduate of St. Ambrose University in Davenport, is now a successful broadcaster and uh, broadcast production and sound engineer in L.A., sometimes music musician and DJ at some top drawer events. He's working several major award shows and also serves as a technical producer for Fox Sports Radio broadcasts, including, among other things, the well-known The Dan Patrick Show, a syndicated sports talk show featuring the longtime former CNN and ESPN sportscaster. During a recent visit back to Waterloo, he sat down for an interview uh, for the Great Museum District's Black Stories Collective exhibit and oral history project. By covering events like the Screen Actors Guild's awards, the Emmys and the Oscars, Elliot's rubbed elbows with stardom as a West Coast audio producer for the Sheridan Broadcasting American Urban Radio Network since 2006. My first award show was the Soul Train Awards with Don Cornelius, Elliot said. I got to talk to Big Don before he passed. I did three Soul Train Awards, he said. My first one was in 06. There on, we always did the Oscars. We did the Grammys, Middle of the Air, and the Emmys, and then towards Thanksgiving, the American Music Awards. You're on the red carpet with the mics, recording interviews for uploading and sharing to network affiliate stations so they can take a piece and act like they were there. In 2005, he also joined what was Clear Channel Broadcasting and joined Fox Sports Radio in 2012, advancing to the Dan Patrick Show. I have 400 affiliates, and I feed that show, too, from the network. Dan is in Connecticut, and we stream his audio. That's where I am every day at 5 a.m. Pacific Time because he's on the East Coast. Though Elliot's radio network connections, I've just met about everybody, he said, at a burial of a time capsule of items from well-known network TV shows on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, for example. He got to interview legendary comedian Carol Burnett. He wasn't stargazing or mugging for pictures with them since he was on the job. It was just the fact of being in a conversation with them, he said. Since 2006, I pretty much have seen all the celebrities at all of, of the events, especially the NAACP uh, Image Awards. Everybody comes there. He learned early to take advantage of opportunities through basketball as a standout at Waterloo East High School. He joined a European basketball tour of Iowa's Big 8 prep conference, conference stars in 1983. He played at San Ambrose University, an NAIA affiliate school, which also played larger Division I NCAA teams like Loyola, Marymount, University, and L.A., which, we which whetted his appetite for California. All right, let's see what else is going on here. Irvine Prairie size tripled. Restoration growing to 292 acres after donor gives more land to UNI. In Cedar Falls, a restored prairie site will triple in size after more land was given 
to the University of Northern Iowa in honor of her late husband, David Kathy Irvine, donated 215 acres of land from his family farm in northwest Benton County to the UNI Foundation so that it can be returned to Tallgrass Prairie. In 2018, her initial donation of 77 acres created Irvine Prairie. Once the combined acreage is fully seeded, that will be one of the largest tracts of restored prairie in eastern Iowa. I'm over the moon, Tallgrass Prairie Center Director Laura Jackson said. It's an amazing act of generosity and vision on Kathy's part. Irvine initially signed the land over the Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation, which attached a permanent conservation easement before transferring the deed to the UNI Foundation Properties Corporation on the 25th of January. Regular oversight by INHF ensures that the prairie's conservation purpose is maintained for perpetuity. The center's mission statement is to empower people to value and restore resilient, diverse, tall grass prairie. Jackson said that more than a century ago, prairie covered 85% of Iowa's land. Now only 0.1% remain. Seeding on the original 77 acres was completed last year. In addition, 22.5 acres of the land just transferred was seeded in the fall of 2022, with a mixture of 84 species according to information from the center. The Tall Grass Prairie Center is also a place for UNI student research. Most of the students involved are in the biology department. With the help of student research assistants, Jackson said that the center monitors all of the plantings on the land, which include 100 types of native prairie plants, big blue stem, little blue stem, switchgrass, Indian grass, purple coneflowers, gray-headed coneflowers, and compass plant are among the plants reestablished there. UNI classes spend time each year at Irvine Prairie monitoring the success or the failure of the plants. Well, you might have remembered uh, a little while back, uh, Senator uh, Grassley uh, was injured uh, with a fractured hip. And our article here says that Grassley is back to work in a wheelchair. The senator, 89 years old, fractured his hip, requiring surgery. So the Iowa Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley is back to work this week at the U.S. Capitol after undergoing surgery on the 11th of January to repair a fracture in his hip. The 89-year-old appeared Wednesday in a wheelchair at a Senate Agriculture Committee. Arkansas Republican U.S. Senator John Boozman, ranking member of the committee, said that Grassley made a great effort to be here. On a conference call with reporters afterward, Grassley said he did a stupid thing while in the kitchen of his Washington, D.C. townhouse to injure himself. It didn't work, and I fell, and I broke my hip, he said. Three weeks ago today, I had an operation to fix it, and that's it. Grassley said he's on the way to full recovery and never missed a vote in the Senate since the injury. The senator's office told Courier Des Moines Bureau that he's having his routine post-op physical therapy appointments in the U.S. Capitol so he can continue his work. I'm doing very well. The outpouring of people saying they're praying for me. I just want to tell everybody that means a lot to me, Grassley told 
reporters. All right, let's uh, turn the page here. Let's go now to Cedar Valley news. County's waterway signs get DNR funds. Black Hawk and Grundy counties are getting $10,000. In Waterloo, cons- conservationists obtained grant funds to put up more signs this spring that identify different creeks, rivers, and watersheds. They're not trying to re- reinvent the wheel when it comes to achieving their goals. Rather, Josh Balk said that they're continuing to lean on research that shows the benefits of the markers extend beyond alleviating the confusion of anyone who may not be able to come up with the proper names of the water in front of them. Part of the goal is to show where they are, but mainly it's to develop that personal connection with them, said Balk. The Iowa Department of Natural Resources Watershed and Source Water Coordinator for Black Hawk County. We're increasing the awareness so that they're more likely to participate or volunteer in conservation efforts and be a local supporter of them. Nearly $10,000 is coming to Black Hawk and Grundy counties for 65 new signs to be placed along roads and at crossings. In particular, they'll build awareness among residents and visitors of the smaller creeks within the priority watersheds as part of the new DNR County Creek Sign Grant Program. Among those playing a role in landing the grant were the Blackhawk Soil and Water Conservation District, Blackhawk County Engineering Office, Blackhawk County Conservation District, Blackhawk Creek Watershed Project, City of Rapid of Rapid Falls of Cedar, I'm sorry, City of City of Cedar Falls, excuse me, City of Waterloo, Dry Run Creek Watershed Improvement Project, Grundy County Soil and Water Conservation District and Ground and Grundy County Engineering Office. So there's a lot there. The more partners means more wheels. We're turning as to where those mostly green signs with white lettering, a few feet wide and tall, might be placed. In fact, Bulk said that the organizations uh, had a wish list, twice the amount of the signs that will be placed in the ground in the near future. They had to figure out which ones to prioritize because of the cap on how much funding could be awarded as part of this new program. Well, we are all slowly entering into the tax season, something I'm sure we all enjoy doing. (laughs) Well, anyway, there's an article here about tax season assistance. Tax aid program led by AARP, RSVP, which is helping people complete their forms. In Waterloo, AARP and the Retired Senior Volunteers Program are helping residents of the Cedar Valley by taking the hassle out of one of the most stressful times of the year. Tax aid rolled out on Wednesday morning with two locations in Waterloo and one in Cedar Falls, as well as in Waverly, Vinton, and Tama. According to Howard Ewell, Site Coordinator for Tax Aid at Westminster Presbyterian Church, The organization mainly works with senior citizens and those with lower fixed incomes and those with low or fixed income, but all comers are welcome with an appointment. We also assist a large number of single-parent households. There are no age or income criteria, so we also see students as well as married couples, Yule said. Many of these people depend on their refunds. 
repair their cars or to cover bills, those refunds mean a lot to them. The tax returns are prepared by 39 IRS certified volunteer working in the six locations, donating between 8 and 30 hours each week to the project, which runs until the 18th of April. Yule added that it takes people special, special people, to like to do taxes, but they have multiple volunteers from John Deere, the University of Northern Iowa, and former accountants and CPAs who've taken up the task. One person who's benefited from tax aid is Corey Culp. He's gone to the Westminster site for several years. Doing so has taken the headache out of taxes for him. Coming here kind of makes it easy for me to file my taxes. I don't really have to go through a lot of extra hassle and stress on getting my taxes filed, Culp said. But I just make an appointment here and they file my taxes for me. So it's pretty sweet. Now, if you would like to contact them, you can do this. The services are on an appointment basis only with scheduling available. So here's how you do that. You call 319-334-1019. Let me repeat that. 319-334-1019. Or you can go online at vccv.or forward slash tax aid. vccv.or forward slash tax aid. Starry Valentine shows set at Planetarium. For the love of gods, explores Greek myths. In Waterloo, love is written in the stars. Sweethearts will discover in a new planetarium show at the Grout Museum. For the love of gods, explores Greek myths surrounding the creation of constellations in the night sky from heroes and creatures and others who were favored by or displeased Greek gods such as Zeus and Poseidon. The Valentine-themed adult-oriented show is February 10th uh, and, and the 11th in the Norris Corson Family Planetarium at the Grout. Shows are at 6, 7, and 8 p.m. Friday. Uh, excuse me, I should say at February the 10th, excuse me, a limited number of tickets remain. Shows on the 11th of February are also sold out. The reception has been so positive and have to been sold out two weeks before the event was crazy. So we had to add more shows. It's a fun, lighthearted and unfiltered look at Greek gods and goddesses, their exploits and love lives, says Karison Morrissey, the Grouts Director of Internal Programming and Education, who wrote the script. Writing comedy and making it funny is hard, but with Greek mythology, the myths are so out there that it's been a chance to have fun telling the stories. Several stories likely will involve Zeus, king of the gods, who immortalized the uh, the centaur Sagittarius in the stars, and Morrissey Sagittarius gave up his immorality to save Prometheus, who was punished by the gods for giving fire to man. Zeus also turned his lover, Callisto, into a bear to hide her from his wife. Callisto's son, Arcus, was hunting and shot the bear with an arrow, and it transformed back into his mother. Zeus heard Arcus sobbing and turned both mother and son into Ursa Major, Great Bear. 
the largest constellation in the northern sky, and Ursa Minor, Little Bear, which contains Polaris, or the North Star. A lot of what we do is educational planetarium shows, programs, and activities for kids. To my knowledge, this is the first time that the Grout has done a planetarium show that is entirely geared for an adult audience, Morrissey explained. With 6.5 million stars and stunning visual visualizations of the night sky, an evening under the 22-foot dome promises to be a romantic and fun evening. The 66-year-old planetarium at the Grout Museum underwent a $200,000 renovation last year with the simple touch of an iPad, a new state-of-the-art projection system will transport audiences into the constellations in astonishing detail. Okay, let's take a look at, uh, let's see, at some other Waterloo news here. Clerk describes 2020 store masked robbery. A former Davenport man who allegedly, allegedly robbed a Waterloo convenience store in 2020 while a mask dangled from his chin had a 14-year-old girl for a getaway driver, according to the police. Dante Marcos Cobbs, age 27, is charged with first-degree robbery and using a minor to commit an offense. Testimony in his trial began Wednesday in Black Hawk County District Court. Prosecutors said that he picked up three teenagers in Davenport on the 29th of September in 2020, and they drove to Waterloo for the robbery. His defense attorney, John Bishop, said that the authorities can't meet their burden of proof to get a conviction on the charges. Clerk Edward DeVroux said that Alley's Corner on East 4th Street was busy, so he didn't notice when Cobbs entered the store and stood in line. Cobbs waited for the woman ahead of him before flashing a handgun. It was kind of casual, almost lazy in a sense, DeVroux said, of Cobb's demeanor while making demands, give me the money and you won't die, he said, Cobb told him. Security camera only a few feet from the counter captured the holdup. It shows the robber in a blue L.A. Dodgers cap, a black with gold trim Golden State Warrior jacket, and a red COVID-era face mask lowered to obscure his chin and neck. The defendant has his mask down as he's at the counter, so you can see his face, prosecutors Brad Waltz noted. The employee handed over about $500 in cash and a $45 bottle of Hennessy, a second bottle of liquor, and an $8 pack of cigars. Waltz said that Cobbs left, and he and the teens made another stop in Waterloo before heading back to the Quad Cities. On their drive, an Iowa State Patrol trooper pulled over their vehicle, but the trooper wasn't aware of the robbery or suspect information and let them continue on their way after getting Cobbs to take the place of the 14-year-old who wasn't old enough to legally drive, Walt said. The video was posted on social media and the Cedar Valley Crime Stoppage page, Stoppers page, rather, excuse me, and Cobbs was identified as a suspect. He remained at large, apparently living in Arizona, before returning to Iowa, where he was deta uh, detained following a chase and Fiat, and that was in July of 2021. Okay, let's uh, move along here. Let's see what else we've got here going on in the paper today. In Waterloo, man sentenced to probation on stalking burglary charges. A Waterloo man has been sentenced to probation for breaking into his neighbor's apartment in July 
Under the sentence, Joseph Jack Roster, age 39, will spend up to a year in the Waterloo Residential Correctional Facility and will be on probation for two to five years after pleading to charges of second-degree burglary and stalking. According to court records, Roster's new upstairs neighbor called police July 18th to report that he had offered to change the locks to her West Street apartment. But the landlord hadn't authorized the lock swap. The locks were keyed to match the lock on the common door to the building's main entrance, meaning that Roster would have access to her apartment. Then shortly after midnight, July 20th, she called 911 after waking to the sound of someone moving around her living room while she was in the bedroom. She told officers she found her living room window unlocked and items on the desk under the window had been disturbed. There was blood in the area of the window and a set of bells she had placed on her apartment door to alert her was missing. Outside, police discovered an orange ladder leading up to her living room window leaning against the building. Officers were were unable to get Roster to come to his door, but they heard a set of bells jingling when they knocked. Police obtained a search warrant and detained Roster. They noticed a cut to his leg and took a DNA sample to compare with the blood from the window area. Court records show that Roster has a prior conviction for allegedly entering his estranged wife's Elk Run Heights home in 2015. In that case, he allegedly entered through a window while a teen hired to house house sit was sleeping, and he removed a TV that he later pawned. Let's go to Metro Briefs. Proud Image elects new board. In Waterloo, the Proud Image course has elected new board members for 2023. Steve Clawoon has been elected president. Other officers are Denny Crown, Music VP, Spencer Hennessy, Membership VP, Craig Holdeman, Secretary Treasurer, Phil Porter, Communication VP, and Dave Hamblin, Don Lubert, and Craig Patterson, Board Members at Large. Mason City's River City Chorus President Rod Bin also installed the new officers at a dinner. Waterloo honored for financial reporting. Government Finance Officers Association of the U.S. and Canada awarded the City of Waterloo with the Certificate of Achievement for Excellence in Financial Reporting for its annual comprehensive financial report for the fiscal year ending June 30th in 2021. An impartial panel judged the report to see if it met the high standards of the program, which includes demonstrating constructive spirit of full disclosure to clearly communicate its financial story and motivate potential user and user groups to read the report. The certificate is the highest form of recognition in the area of government accounting and financial reporting. All right, let's see what else we got here. Oh, we're going down to Springdale, Arkansas now. Tyson Foods to provide new benefits to workers. In Springdale, Arkansas, Tyson Foods on Tuesday announced new investments in the health care and wellness of its workers. The company's new policies are in addition to Tyson's recent announcement that it had invested more than $50 million in thank you bonuses and $100 million in wage increases for U.S. hourly workers over the past year. Tyson Foods has invested more than $20 million this year to offer longer parental leave, 
additional mental health support, and other wellness and health plan benefits at no additional cost to team members to further enhance worker well-being. The company increased its parent leave program to include eight weeks paid leave for mothers and two weeks paid leave for the U.S. team members whose spouse or partner gave birth. The company offers four weeks of paid parental leave for adoptive parents. This is yet another step that Tyson Foods is taking to show how we align our actions with our values and prioritize the health and well-being of our team members, Johanna Sodenstrom, Chief People Officer, said in a news release. The new offerings reinforce our commitment to ensure that we offer equitable and market-competitive programs to our team members and align with our vision to become the most sought-after place to work. This spring, Tyson workers will also have access to a personalized well-being portal. It includes physical, emotional, financial, and social social well-being benefits and resources. Boys and Girls Club gets award in Waterloo. Boys and Girls Club of the Cedar Valley received the Hero for Youth Award from the National Boys and Girls Clubs of America for their advocacy on behalf of Iowa's youth. Because of the steadfast advocacy of leaders like Boys and Girls Clubs of the Cedar Valley, our our nation's youth have access to skills and experiences that can put them on the path to great futures, said Jim Clark, CEO and President of Boys and Girls Clubs of America. BGCA's Club Advocacy Engagement Recognition Program recognizes the advocacy work clubs to do every day with a major emphasis on impact and creativity and innovation. The program consists of three tiers for the clubs, advocate, hero, and champion. And I would like to remind you that you are listening to the reading of the Courier for Thursday, February 2nd. And I am your narrator, Peter Welch, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. And yes, we have uh, four um, uh, individuals who have passed in our obituary column here today. Uh, The first one is Reverend David Robinson, age 91, passed away on Wednesday. Um, Services will be at 11 11 a.m. Friday, February 3rd, at the Shilliam Avenue COGIC with burial in Fairview Cemetery, Waterloo. Friends may call at the church on Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. and one hour before service time on Friday. Sanders Funeral Service is assisting the family with all arrangements. Janice Capriva uh, has passed at the age of 80. And she will have a mass Christian burial, which will be held on Saturday, the 4th of February at 11.30 a.m. at St. Paul Catholic Church in Traer with Father Anthony Bowen uh, Nikita as celebrant. Interment will be following at St. Paul's Catholic Cemetery in Traer. Visitation will be held on Friday, the 3rd of February from 4 to 7 p.m. at St. Paul Catholic Church in Traer with a scripture and rosary service following at 7 p.m.
Delma Shars has passed at the age of 95 of natural causes. Funeral services will be at 10.30 a.m. Saturday, February 4th at St. Anasthus, that's that's A-T-H-A-N-A-S-I-U-S, Catholic Church in Jessup, with burial at the Anasthus Catholic Cemetery in Jessup. Forgive me, I think I mispronounced that. Um, Also, the uh, arrangements will be taken care of by the White Funeral Home in Jessup, Iowa, and they're in charge of, uh, of all arrangements. Raymond Stevick, age 81 of Waterloo, passed at Allen Hospital after succumbing to sepsis, and his uh, funeral service will be held at 11 a.m. on Friday, on the 3rd of February, at St. John's Church in Cedar Valleys, Iowa. Visitation will be held at the church one hour prior to the service. There will be a funeral luncheon immediately after the services. The funeral luncheon will be held at the Cedar Falls uh, Amvets Post 49. Okay, let's do an op-head here. Uh, This is, the column is called Another View. And this is from the New York Daily News. Sending tanks is long overdue. After much back and forth and strenuous hand-wringing, Germany has cleared the way for its Leopard 2 tanks to join the fight for democracy in Ukraine, pledging to send an initial company of 14 tanks. The U.S. joined in with President Joe Biden's pledge to send 31 M1 Abram tanks. The U.S. and Europe have been rightly supporting Ukraine's defense against Russia since it invaded nearly a year ago, but this move marked the first time that the aid was war wagons to Russia's chagrin. The aggressor's often oblique and recently explicit threats to use its nuclear arsenal if facing a total defeat in Ukraine are to be taken seriously. But if Russia believes this alone will force other nations to back off from supporting Ukraine, it's got the picture backward. The more unhinged unhinged that Vladimir Putin behavior gets, the clearer it becomes that they cannot simply be appeased. A few dozen replacement tanks for the heroic Ukrainians isn't going to set off World War III. Resupplying the Ukraines uh, with a much, much larger invading force, giving the smaller army a better fighting chance. Russia will screech about it and being a dangerous escalation, but no NATO troops are on the ground. And the saber-rattling is bluster. Russia isn't going to nuke Germany, the United States, or anyone else over a few tanks. This next article is about something that affects each and every single one of us in this country. It's about our debt, our national debt. The national debt shows how our nation has lost its way. And this is written by Star Parker, who is a president, or is president, excuse me, of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education and host of the weekly television show, Cure America with Star Parker. As tensions about raising the nation's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling build, the headline that should be flashing in front of every American is that our country is not working. Nothing is going to get fixed, really fixed, until we come clean about this basic, sad, and distressing fact. How can it be that our national 
publicly held debt is equal to our entire $25.5 trillion economy. And where were we all when this happened? As recently as 2008, debt was 39.2%, rather than 100% of our GDP. One of the outcries that fueled the American Revolution was taxation without representation. But this is exactly what is going on today. Who is on the line for these tens of trillions of debt? You and me. Federal spending can be financed in two ways taxes, or debt. Politicians don't like taxation because they have to be honest with citizens that they're taking their money. Borrowing achieves the same end without asking. The last thing Congress did before shutting down in the last session was pass $1.7 trillion in additional spending. There were no taxes to pay for this. It gets layered onto the huge debt which is on you and me. As economist Milton Friedman once said, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We pay for everything. Instead of paying our bills honestly through taxes, we bear the burden of debt through inflation and slow growth. We must appreciate that the discussion about debt and spending is not about accounting. It is about principles. Our national crisis stems from straying from the basic principles on which a free nation under God was founded. Dishonesty, irresponsibility, and big government do not define a free nation under God. Let's consider the issue of so-called entitlements, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. About two-thirds of our national spending consists of mandatory spending, entitlements. The rest is discretionary spending and interest paid on the debt. Whenever I write that Social Security is an entitlement, I get letters saying, don't call this an entitlement. I paid for it. But the label entitlement is a government label for payments that are mandatory for the government to make, as opposed to discretionary spending, such as, for instance, defense spending. Those who think this is a personal right should ask if they are entitled to get out from the system. And the answer is no. The government remains entitled to make you pay payroll taxes and then make payments to you when you retire. Government decides what those taxes and payments will be. And here we have more dishonesty. This, uh, I should say, this, uh, Social Security is broke. According to the system trustees, there are insufficient funds to meet obligations beginning in 2034, 11 years from now. Every young American entering the workforce now, right now, must pay taxes into a system that does not have the resources to pay promised benefits. There's a lot of rhetoric about whether entitlements should be part of the debt ceiling negotiations, and they shouldn't be. Not because these programs aren't broken, but because it's too complicated to fix in overnight negotiations. Fixing Social Security should not be about cuts, but about reform and changing the whole system. The system is broken because it's not based on American principles of ownership and personal responsibility. It's based on government 
dependence. Every American could earn far more without taking on unnecessary risks. If they could take ownership of their payroll taxes and invest in a personal retirement account, dishonesty and irresponsibility are rampant. Because we have allowed government to take over so much of our lives in a country where individuals are supposed to be free and responsible only to their creator. It's time for big changes in America. The only choice is whether we want to have a future or not. Terrific. Terrific article. And again, that's Star Parker, who's president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education and host of the weekly television show, Cure America, with Star Parker. Great words. All right, let's turn the page. Let's see what else is going on here. In the nation and the world column, Fed enacts small hike. As inflation pressure eases, officials suggest more modest increases. As inflation uh, continues to be a, uh, an issue, um, the Federal Reserve extended its fight against high inflation Wednesday by raising its key interest rate by a quarter point, its eighth hike since March. The Fed signaled that even though inflation is easing, it remains high enough to require future rate hikes. At the same time, Chair Jerome Powell said in a news conference that the Fed recognizes the pace of inflation has eased, a signal that it could be nearing the end of its rate hikes. The stock and bond markets rallied during his news conference, suggesting they anticipate a forthcoming pause in the Fed's credit tightening. The Fed's latest move, though smaller than its previous hike, and even larger rate increases before that, will likely further raise the costs of many consumer and business loans and the risk of a recession. In a statement, Fed officials repeated language they've used before that says the ongoing increases in the interest rate target range will be appropriate. That is widely interpreted to mean that they'll raise their benchmark rate again when they next meet in March and perhaps in May as well. The Fed's hike was announced a day after the government said pay and benefits for American workers grew more slowly in the final three months of 2022, the third straight slowdown. That report could help reassure that the Feds that the wage increases won't accelerate inflation, though the Fed kept language in its statement Wednesday suggesting that more rate hikes are in store. It did note for the first time that price pressures are cooling. Statement also hinted that it will likely stick with modest quarter point hikes in coming months and is considering when to eventually suspend them. We will need substantially more evidence to be confident that inflation is on a long sustained downward path, Powell said at his news, at the news conference. It would be very premature to declare victory or think that we really got this. We have to complete the job. Speculation is widespread, though, among Wall Street investors and many economists that will inflation continue to cool, the Fed could soon decide to halt its aggressive drive to tighten credit. When they last met in December, the Fed's policymakers forecast that they would eventually raise their benchmark rate to a level that would require two additional quarter-point hikes. Yet, Wall Street investors priced it only 
in one more hike. Collectively, in fact, they expect that the Fed to reverse course and actually cut rates by the end of this year. That optimism helped drive stock prices up, bond yields down, easing credit, and pushing in the opposite direction that the Fed would prefer. All right, let's look at some news digest here. Cohen, DA took phones for probe. In New York, Donald Trump's long estranged former lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohen, said Manhattan prosecutors recently told, uh, I should say, excuse me, recently took, rather, his cell phones to preserve evidence related to a hush money payment that he made to porn actress Stormy Daniels in the waning weeks of the 2016 presidential campaign. The payment to Daniels, which Cohen says was intended to buy her silence about an alleged sexual encounter with Trump, has been the subject of law enforcement scrutiny for years, but a new grand grand jury is giving it a fresh look. Cohen said on Wednesday that the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office asked for the phones because it wants to extract voice recordings of conversations he had with a lawyer for Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford, as well as emails and text messages. Cohen said that he was questioned for about two and a half hours. He's also expected to testify before the grand jury. Kiev, Russia eyeing Luhansk offensive. Russia is mustering its military might in the Luhansk region of Ukraine, officials said on Wednesday. And what Kiev suspects is preparation for an offensive as the first anniversary of of Moscow's invasion approaches. The Kremlin's forces are expelling residents near the Russian-held parts of the front line so that they can't provide information about Russian troops' deployments to Ukrainian artillery forces, Lunix Governor Surly Heidel said. Also on Wednesday, President Volodymyr Zelensky, government continued its crackdown on alleged corruption, dismissing several high-ranking officials. Prominent lawmaker David Arkamania said, The latest allegations come as Western allies are channeling billions of dollars to help Kiev fight Moscow and as the Ukrainian government is introducing reforms to join the European Union one day. And briefly, winter weather. A deadly storm system lashed the southern U.S. uh, with sleet and snow for a third day. Wednesday, grounding an additional 2,300 flights leaving hundreds of thousands without power, forcing school closures, and making treacherous driving conditions even worse. Oil drilling, the Biden administration released a long-awaited study Wednesday that recommends allowing a major oil development on Alaska's North Slope that supporters say could boost U.S. energy security, but climate activists decry as a carbon bomb. Debt limit. President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy met on Wednesday for more than an hour of spending talks, uh, a a good first meeting, the new Republican leader said, but expectations were low for quick process as, or I should say progress, excuse me, progress as GOP lawmakers push for steep budget cuts and a deal to prevent a national debt limit crisis. No competition. Apple and Google are operating mobile app stores. 
that stifle competition, according to a Commerce Department's report released on Wednesday. President Joe Biden convened his competition council for an update on efforts to promote competition and lower prices. Meanwhile, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is pushing efforts to limit credit card late fees. Trump campaign. Former President Donald Trump's political operation started the year with about $25 million socked away for his 2024 presidential campaign, but much less than what he had on hand a year ago, new, camp new campaign finance reports show. And finally, in news briefs, Israel militants fired a rocket from the Gaza Strip into Israel's south Wednesday, the army said, setting off sirens and raising already heightened tensions under the country's new ultra-nationalist government. The rocket was intercepted, the military goes on to say. In Washington, GOP to oust Omar from foreign affairs. Republicans claim the punishment is due to insensitive comments. Newly empowered House Republican prepared Wednesday to oust Democratic Representative Ilan Omar, a Somali-born minister lawmaker from the House Foreign Affairs Committee over her past commitments critical of Israel. And as payback after Democrats booted far-right GOP lawmakers from committees for their incendiary violent remarks. A procedural vote showed unified Republican support for moving against Omar, who has apologized for comments that she said that she came to understand were viewed as anti-Semitic. It was approved on party lines. A, a final vote is expected on Thursday. Now, Speaker Kevin McCarthy has been eager to flex Republican power to remove the Minnesota Democrat after he blocked Representative Adam Schiff and Republican Eric Swalwell, both California Democrats, from rejoining the House Intelligence Committee once the GOP took control in January. While well, appointments to the intelligence panel are the pre uh, are the prerecord of, of the Speaker, the uh, act the action on Omar would require a House vote. Republicans waited for Democrats to formally nominate Omar to the committee, which she served on served on during the last Congress. Once the House approved the committee roster tail a roster late Wednesday, Republicans said that they would move to strip her of the seat. Okay, let's turn the page. Let's see what else is going on here. Uh, fines should bolster divisive concepts law. Republican legislature asserts educators may be ignoring 2021 law. In Des Moines, Iowa schools are prohibited from teaching so-called divisive concepts under a state law passed in 2021. But now some Republican state lawmakers are looking to put some teeth on the law by adding fines for educators who violate it. School districts would be fined between $500 and $5,000 if they are found in violation of the Divisive Concepts Law under a proposal that received its first legislative approval Wednesday from Iowa House Republicans at the Iowa Capitol. The 2021 law defines divisive concepts and includes, for example, teaching students that moral character is determined by one's race or sex, or that the United States and Iowa are fundamentally or systematically racist. 
Steve Holt, a Republican from Denison, said that the proposal to add fines is needed because he believes that some school districts, he did not name any, are violating the divisive concepts law. It would appear to us that this hasn't been comp compiled with, with in some school districts, that it's been blatantly ignored in some school districts, or that they're just simply trying to play word games and keep doing the same thing, Holt said, during Wednesday's legislative hearing on the, uh, um, on the proposal. Opponents of the proposal said that it doesn't provide due process for educators who are accused of violating the divisive concepts law. The legislation states that once a complaint is lodged, that the state education department will make a ruling. And there's no provision for the school district or educator in question to state their case. Okay, let's go to entertainment for the few minutes we've got left here. Who will win? the 65th Annual Grammy Awards. Well, Adele and Beyonce face off once again, in case you weren't looking, that Adele and Beyonce face off is about to happen again. Adele, you may remember, has been the grammar, gra grammar, excuse me, Grammy, pardon me, Grammy winner when the two are head to head. But this year, that could change. Beyonce could win her first album of the year trophy. Or Brandy... Carlyle, Harry Styles, Lizzo, or Kendrick Lamar could surprise them both. That's fun in this year's Grammy Quest. There's so much good music, and a sweep may not happen. If you're looking at numbers alone, though, consider this. Adele has won 15 Grammys, including two albums of the year prizes. Beyonce has won 28 Grammys, but never albums of the year. Smart Money says that it's about time Beyonce, win, Beyonce wins. Adele even apologized one of the times for, for beating her. But Adele could pull it off. 30, her latest, has some of her best work. And no doubt, Beyonce will continue to lead the list in wins. She amassed those 28 mostly in categories other than record, song, and album. So who stands to win this year? We'll know Sunday night on CBS. Meanwhile, here are a couple of the races shakedowns. We've got record of the year. It looks like that the Grammy is going to Adele for Easy on Me. Beyonce has Break My Soul and Harry Styles as, as it was. But this is the kind of category Adele wins handedly. What about song of the year? Well, this could go in, in another direction, depending on how strong Taylor Swift's hold is over the Grammy voters. She has all too well in the hunt. Lizzo is here with About Damn Time, and Kendrick Lamar checks in with The, the Heart Part 5. The interesting wrinkle, longtime Gra uh, Grammy uh, fave Bonnie Raitt is included for Just Like That which could make her favorite among those who want to remember where the industry has been. If Adele isn't running the board, look for Beyonce or Harry to pick this one up. So there's going to be a number of different things. We're running out of time here, but we'll have on this program, on the, uh, on the, um, on the 65th Grammy Awards, there'll be Best New Artist, Best Pop Solo Performance, Best Pop Duo Group Performance, Best Pop Vocal Album, Best Traditional Pop, Best Rock Performance. 
And there are a lot of other categories, and I can't name them right now. We are out of time, and I want to thank you for listening to me. This is Peter Welch speaking, and we have been reading The Courier for the 2nd of February on IRIS, the Iowa Radio International, excuse me, Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind. I do thank you for listening, and we'll talk again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye now.